man, the best person to rape is your wife. And now I guess he feels a little bit emboldened. He must be careful with what he says. I think we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard. Uh, racism is essentially a white problem. For you to understand what racism is about, you're going to be so uncomfortable. As Christians, we love the homosexual and the transgender. Homosexuality is sin. You know, everybody's like, you taught that from school, everywhere. Big business, you want to be successful, you want to be like Trump. Gimme, 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 push, 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 push. Step, 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 crush, crush, crush. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, hey, folks. Hey, hey, how we doing? Okay. Back again every other week. Profane Faith is in the place to be. Oh, my goodness. Here we are. Here we are. Well, hopefully you are wherever you are. You're enjoying life uh, to the fullest, right? Because, you know, things are going so great. Longest time of peace that we've had in the world. It's amazing. Uh, You know, things are looking really up. We're healthy. We're living longer. Things are so great, and so I will assume that you're just having amazing times. We've reached spiritual elevation on so many levels, and we're ready, right? We're ready for the next level of... (laughs) Man, I can't even keep that shit up, man. Oh, my gosh. Hopefully, you're doing well, though, for real. Um, Here we are again, back at it, and uh, in the spring... I don't know wherever you're at, but, uh, you know, I experienced seasons and, uh, you know, I really wasn't a big fan of seasons for a long time. It's why I liked Southern California, right? Sunny, warm, 95% of the time. And, uh, that was, that was cool, but I've come to appreciate seasons. Um, you know, the turning of leaves, the, the, the budding of, of you know, flowers and grass seedlings and all that stuff like that. So, you know, I'm trying to take it all in, uh, you know, again. Uh, but, you know, with climate change, there's always like, you know, I'm not quite putting up my snow shovel and snow blower yet. Because I am. Uh, and in fact, I looked at the, the, the forecast for us. And I think, you know, within this week uh, and the night supposed to get back down into the, you know, the upper 20s and stuff. So, you know, I'm like, yeah. Even though it's the first day of spring, technically today here in our in the year of our Lord, 2022, March 20th, um, it's, you know, it's Chicago spring. So I ain't being fooled. First few years I was here, I was fooled. And I was like, oh, my goodness, it's so nice outside. Oh, yes, it's time. And then, bam, two weeks later, hitting your ass with some frost, some sleet. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So uh, don't be fooled. I always say if you're in the Chicagoland area, I always say Puerto Rican Day. That's that's when I officially claim summer, Puerto Rican day in June. Um, that's when I know, okay, ain't gonna freeze no more. <laughs> if it freezes after Puerto Rican day, that's it, man. We're we're in a world of we're in a world of hurt, man. Uh, but at any rate, uh, you know, things are things are going down. Um man, I've, I've had some amazing conversations with folks here over the last week. Um, I'm excited to bring you all these podcasts. Uh, you know, it's it, we got some lineups this this last week. Of course, 
a big shout out to Ashley. If you haven't heard um, uh, the previous episode and just that story, uh, their experience uh, growing up in an evangelical and excuse me environment. Um, oh my gosh, it it's hands down. If this is your first time to profane faith. Welcome. As always, glad you're here. Glad you found us. However you found us. Um, but if you haven't had a chance to listen to last week's episode, I highly recommend checking out Ashley's story. I'm going to bring them back on. And um, yeah, because th there's a lot to cover. There's a lot to cover there uh, with that. And I and I'm not definitely done talking about, um, you know, the, the abuse that, uh, you know, evangelicalism has done. In fact, I just had a conversation with a cat uh, that I'll have up hopefully here in the next few weeks. Um, about his experience as a pastor, a Latinx pastor uh, in Southern California uh, within the uh, AG denomination. Uh, so, uh, and as most of you know, this first time, you know, I am not a fan of denominations. Um, I think there's just nothing but hierarchy and uh, power dynamics and money and greed. <laughs> All those things exist. And I get that that's a place though, you know, if you're looking for work, if you're looking for a job, you're right. There's 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 something about a group there's something about a community there's something about that but they're so goddamn dysfunctional um and uh and so not about where i feel and just from what the research is telling us you know the next iteration of spirituality is going it's not a denomination it's not growing a denomination even folks who say oh i'm non-denominational i'm okay if you still espousing evangelical bullshit you you a part of that denomination shit so, um, yeah, you know, and these are things, again, if you're first time you're here, you're like, oh my gosh, what did I get into? Check out other episodes. We have a plethora of episodes. I forget. I don't even know if we're approaching our 200th episode. I don't know, but it's getting up there. Uh, started this podcast in 2017. Here we are in 2022, um, five years old. Well, it'll be officially five years in uh, this summer. Um, so we're getting up there and uh, I like it. I, I'm going to continue. And, and, I'm, and I'm so happy to say uh, that over this time, there's been um, a growth of POC, BIPOC-centered podcasts that have emerged, um, you know, and I love that. I love it. I love going on uh, platforms and, and just seeing folks out there, you know, talking about good stuff because we need more of that. We need more of that. Um, I wish I had gotten on this, you know, podcasting a lot sooner than 2017, but nevertheless, here we are. Um, so yeah, check out some of those past episodes. There's a lot. We've talked a lot about, had different special issues and episodes about, you know, specifics in God, theology, atheism, uh, humanism. There's all kind of good stuff out there in regards to that. So we're going to keep pressing forward. Like I said, I want to get into some science stuff, some STEM and, uh, and uh, theology. I want to get into that. I want to begin to explore how those all come together. Uh, so stay tuned. You know, we we just getting started. We just getting it going right up in here. As long as I got breath in my, my lungs, I'm going to keep pushing this stuff out. And and of course, as long as I got some money to pay the bill at the server. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Especially with these goddamn gas prices. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Woo. Yeah, I don't know how how much you pay and where you at, um, but it's probably too much. <laughs> I know that uh, here in Chicago, I think the cheapest is 447, which you know, you may be in California, you're paying like nine, right? You're $15 a gallon, some crazy crap like that, man. Um, and I know some places are mad as a mofo because it's 389. So I know it's relative, 
But nevertheless, gas prices is high. And, you know, and I've said this before on the show, like I've been trying to go more and more electric uh, in all the things that I do. Right. Whether it's power tools, um, you know, lawn equipment, household materials like I want to go like I just had a quote for um, solar. In fact, this last weekend, I mean, it's expensive as AF. Uh, it, it's it's just I, I'm blown away about how much, you know, that crap is. And, uh, you know, especially for like a backup battery and, uh, you know, generate your own power and use the sun. That joint, it it is, you know, it's a racket, right? All these things are rackets. We, uh, you know, this is the way the economy and capitalism is set up in particular. Um, you know, it's designed to, you know, to gouge <laughs> on many different levels, you know, unless you at the top, the tippy top. So, um, yeah, but at any rate, uh, yeah, I've been trying to go more and more electric, but it's, it's difficult, man. Just trying to buy an electric car. Uh, sure. You may get some tax breaks and incentives, uh, but it, it, you know, it's nothing, it's, it's nothing compared to what you're going to have to put down for that mofo. Right. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see. I always say, we'll see where we end up at with all of this. Um, at any rate, still paying a lot for gas so our brother's walking uh, which is always good right you got to get out and walk and do those things so spring is here i'm glad to be out and get excited to get back into the yard if you're listening to this in real time uh if not maybe you listen to this in you know in another time in another dimension i don't know um but i'm excited spring's here sun staying out a little bit longer all that good stuff and uh yeah i'm glad happy for that um well this week folks i'm excited uh this this is a conversation i recorded back oh my gosh it's been let me see what was the date on this thing this was back oh my gosh in november um but uh I, this was a great conversation i'm not gonna front the first time i heard the title of dr katie's book or dr hayes's book i ain't gonna front i was kind of thrown off it's like god gets everything god wants i say what what kind of mess is this right you know because you know i get stuff sent to me by publishers you know want trying to promote this stuff i'm glad i didn't do the old adage of judging a book by its cover or its title for that matter y'all fam this this is amazing um i reached out to, to katie uh she responded and we had an amazing conversation and as you know on this show i try to bring a multitude of different voices um, folks who are engaging in and around religion, theology, spirituality from many different sectors and facets of that in that realm. Um, and this is just it. Uh, Katie is a pastor and author. She grew up fundamentalist, scared of hell and the God who could send her there. Right. Uh, aren't we all or aren't weren't, weren't we all um, also called to ministry, but unable to say that for a long time. Hashtag because girl or because of because a girl. Right. Uh, then to make a long story short, there's a multi-decade jumble of faith, deconstruction, ordination, denominational exile, welcome to the club, ecclesial trauma, lots and lots of therapy and education, and voila, she's finally firing on all cylinders at 50 plus because God is good and Katie is stubborn as hell. Yeah, the hell she doesn't believe in anymore. So she served for nearly two decades uh, of in ministry. Uh, and traditional small steeple churches in Birmingham, Alabama, I give that to her, Long Island, out in New York, suburban Atlanta, Georgia, and Arlington, Texas. In 2013, Katie left her traditional congregation uh, and with a team of co-conspirators, uh, less than half her age, launched Galileo Church. And I'm going to have her break that down here in a minute. 
especially if you're in the Texas, Dallas area, you got to check this uh, place out. This Galileo is a quirky church for spiritual refugees, especially LGBTQ plus people, neurodiverse people and the people who love them. They meet for worship in the big red barn, a rented steel or sheet metal sanctuary tucked under I-20 on the far south each east edge of Fort Worth, Texas. So if you out there in Texas and a lot of crap's going down in Texas, I highly recommend checking out uh, Katie's church. I, of course, as always, I'll put all these things in the show notes. Uh, Katie serves as Galileo's lead evangelist. She's going to break that down as well here in a minute because I know some of that language can be kind of triggering. It always is for me, but she's going to break that down. Unapologetically inviting pe- uh, pretty much anyone she meets to come and see, quote unquote. Uh, and so uh, I am so glad I had a chance to uh, meet her or just online and um, get to know her a little bit more and uh, talk a little bit about her book and what uh, what it's about uh, and to have it here on the show. So enjoy this conversation. Get outside. It's springtime and walk around and uh, save some money on these high ass gas prices. All right, fam. Here, check this conversation out. Peace. Well, Katie, it's great to have you on the show today. Uh, thank you for taking the time. I'm excited to talk to you. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Um, so I'm excited to get into this book. God gets everything God wants. And I love that um, title. Um, I was telling that to my partner this morning and she was just like, what, uh, what is that book about? And I was just like, this is going to be a great show. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, <laughs> and so, but I, the, the question I asked to start off the show with everybody, um, and I'm very curious what's led up to this. Uh, what, what has been happening from birth to now for you? <laughs> That's a real long time. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> I, shoot. I'll take it. Uh, I grew up in a fundagelical church where girls and women could not have a call to ministry, or at least it couldn't be manifest. And um, I spent the better part of my young adulthood sort of wrestling through that paradox that I indeed felt called by God to do theology and to do church. I just loved church. I loved the community of it. I loved everything about it but just could not find my voice in the denomination of my youth. Um, I stayed in it sort of swimming against that tide for longer than any therapist said was rational or good for me. And <laughs> yeah. um, just kept doing it, kept doing it. Um, and thinking always that the faithful move on my part was to stay in it and change it from within, you know, we're going to change it from inside. Um, and finally it, it was too much. It was too much for me, for my spouse, for our family, Um, and we made the big leap of faith. We each made shifts, um, denominationally, vocationally that, um, made a lot of sense for each of us and felt very much more like the fulfillment of God's imaginings for me and for us together. And I landed in a liberal mainline Protestant denomination in North America, and I just couldn't be happier here. Then, um, over the course of a bunch of years, I pastored several small, steeple, uh, traditional congregations. I did that for about two decades. And then um, in the 19th, 20th year of that, I left my last traditional congregation to plant, to start from scratch, a brand new community of belonging in Jesus' name that would focus, we said, on 
the missing millennials. We would be seeking mm. and sheltering spiritual refugees. Lots and lots of those at the time, very young adults who were, you know, they had vacated the pews of our traditional churches. And I just, I, I needed to know more about that. That started as a kind of research question for me and then became uh, really for, for me, the fulfillment of a lifetime of preparation, though I didn't know that at the time, you know, just getting ready for this one thing that I really think uh, God made me for. And I, I feel like now um, in the ninth year of this church plant that has survived now a global pandemic and um, a recession and all kinds of other stuff, um, that uh, I, I really am doing the thing I was born for. Mm. And it, it's amazing. I, not everybody gets that chance in life. I'm grateful every day for it. So Galileo Church is the name of that church plant, that congregation. And we're situated on the southeast outskirts of Fort Worth, Texas, kind of in no person's land, kind of unincorporated Tarrant County um, uh, in a barn, a sheet metal barn that we rent from a landlord who actually likes us, which is a nice change for I us. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. So I got to ask the question. So I was actually born in Texas. I know the, the state well. Um, been all through it. Panhandle all the way down to Nuevo Laredo and the the, the, the borders. Um, got family in Mesquite and also Dallas. So that area. So how are you thriving and surviving in a place, right, that, you know, people are you know, people are saying like, hey, I don't even want to know if I want to go to Texas. At the same time, I have colleagues who are just like, I'm going to go buy land because it's cheap and I'm, I'm going to live in Austin, though. You know what I'm saying? So how, how are you how are you making that happen? I'm very curious. I, too, was born in Texas and I got out as soon as I could. I engineered a departure for myself when I was 17 and I did not imagine I would ever live back in this state. Um, and then you know, God is hilarious and maybe a little hard of hearing. We said anywhere but Texas and God said, eh, Texas. And um, my little family and I ended up back here um, this time. Yeah. In the DFW Metroplex, it's a hard time to be a Texan. Uh, this is a very, it's a, this is a very Texocentric place. And when people move here from elsewhere, I just say, you know, welcome to the Texas crazy. It's, it's a hard time to feel kind and hmm benevolent toward my neighbors. Mm. Uh, I live in kind of rural uh, Texas outside the city. It's just, it's a hard time. So how are we surviving and thriving? By sort of imagining ourselves as the remnant mm. of generous, uh, Christ-like kindness, uh, liberation, uh, openness and generosity um, in a place that needs it probably worse than just about anywhere in the uh continental United States. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, cause you're right. I mean, I, I haven't been back in a while. Well, actually I went back for a conference a few years back. Um, but you know, that's conferency and you're, you're at the hotel or whatever. Um, yeah. and so I got a lot of family, but it was always, you know, leaving the airport we'd fly into San Antonio and, uh, my grandmother who, uh, who passed now, but she used to live like in rural in this little town called Menard, which is where I was born. She raised me. Um, it was just always, you know, a little scary going off the highway and getting off and going some of these, you know, country roads and stuff. And which is interesting because again, I grew up with that. Um, but then it, it, and I, and people always knew when I was back, I would, I would go to the store. I was like the only black kid in that in this entire town and so people always knew when i was back it was like I, as soon as they saw me at the store at the gas station they were like oh 
Dan's back, right? It's like the, the, the one black guy. He's he's back. Right. Um, right. How have y'all navigated some of the the racialized tension, and particularly as a church? Um, I was reading on your bio. You talked about um, you know this this inclusivity, especially young adults, LGBTQ plus people on the outskirts of Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. How have y'all navigated just some of the stuff that's going on, not just in Texas, but right? It's, you know, it's nationally. I mean, you know, we yeah. we had four years of, of Trump uh, and I wasn't a big fan of Biden. Uh, I definitely wasn't a fan of Trump, but I'm definitely not a fan of Biden. And now you got other issues. Mm-hmm. How have y'all navigated some of those things? Yeah, R- racial tension uh, is thick around here. Um, I have understanding from friends about what it's like to live with just the chronic, chronic baseline of fear, anxiety, and anger. Um, just for living in a black body or a brown body in the state, it's exhausting, it's depressing, it's anxiety producing. Um, my church, Galileo, is, I would say, culturally white and majority white, certainly not because we've named it that way, but because that is what it is. And we want to be, we've learned to be in the last several years intentional about, about saying that, saying that's who we are and examining our own whiteness in this context and, and learning to say what that means. Um, Listening to people who know better than we, what that privilege has afforded us. Um, Even to the point that we have a sister congregation, also LGBTQ inclusive Um, nearby in the Metroplex that was founded by black women and founded just with a, just less of a foundation of privilege than my church was founded with very much because I'm white and those founders are black. And so we've taken on some, mm, some sense of our own identity as companions with that church in their journey. And some of that means levering, leveraging our privilege for their sake just really coming alongside as like fellow travelers, but also um, helpers where we can help. And, and in particular being financial benefactors when we can, because what that privilege often translates into in the church planting world is financial resources. So how do we leverage what we got? So this other church also makes it because it it is nothing to us if our church um, survives and thrives and an LGBTQ inclusive church that is set up directly to speak to and with black people mm. um, doesn't make it. It's just, it, then it would be nothing to us if they don't make it. So in some sense, we sort of tied our own success with the success of that congregation and, and uh, form friendships and have learned to trust each other and, uh, and talk to each other about what this all feels like. Wow. I like that. I, and, and speaking of that, let me, it was one of the things, one of the questions I, I'm, 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 I always ask, particularly folks who are in church, any type of, you know, professional like ministry, whether it's counseling, therapeutic, yeah, how did you navigate and, and really survive the pandemic? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I give thanks to God that that pandemic did not come in our second or third or fourth year. I don't know that we would have made it through. Um, okay the hits that all congregations are taking are astonishing. I'm also glad the pandemic didn't come in our 75th or 80th year, because I'm not sure we would have survived that either. As it happened, it hit at a time, um, our seventh and eighth years, when we had some momentum uh, of people and energy and ideas and passion and money. And because of all that, we sort of, we were able to ride that wave. We had also taken our uh, church worship services online 
in Advent 2019, so just a few months before everybody had to go home. We thought we were doing that as a form of outreach. Uh, As it turns out, that was also for us. And it's so interesting that so much of our um, local church membership learned what it's like to have to find community online and not just observe worship, but actually sort of make relationship and make community online. So we have that going for us. Thanks be to God. Um, through all of that, we, we, you know, various things happen. We, we lost income streams. Mm. Um, some folks could not hang with us for as long as we remained virtual. We, we stayed all virtual um, until June of this year until okay. the vaccines were widely available to adults okay. and we're still masking and social distancing and practicing all kinds of COVID conscientious behaviors when we're together. And some of our folks haven't come back IRL yet. They're still hanging out online because that just feels safer to them and better. And frankly, probably also because some habits of life changed during the pandemic. And maybe it's harder to put your pants on and get out the door on a Sunday afternoon for our worship service at five. So yeah. it's okay to be at home. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the main thing that I'm carrying forward, though, out of sort of as we slowly come to our experience of the tail end of the pandemic, understanding it's not nearly over for lots of people around the world, um, is that for us, we've got we've got a lot of deferred maintenance mm. as a community. You know what I mean? Like, okay. In traditional church where you got a big building to take care of, you talk about deferred maintenance. It's like we the HVAC systems need to be repaired or replaced. We can't do it this year, maybe next year. The roof needs an overhaul. Not this year, maybe next year. Deferred maintenance. In my case, we don't have that, um, but we've got deferred maintenance in some other ways. Mm. We've got relationships that held on during the pandemic, but really have not been tended over food and drink the way they need to be to, to keep going. The same way Jesus made connection, made friends, made community, We've not, that has not been available to us now for so long. So there's some deferred maintenance there, um, which leads to the reality that there are some hard conversations that ought to be had in church, but they're hard for us to have right now because we have to have them through a mask, because we have to have them at a distance. We have to have them over a screen. So some of those really naughty, really thorny, Mm. uh, complex ethical issues, like for example, legislation in Texas that has all but outlawed abortion. We, churches ought to be talking about that. People ought to be talking about that. Yeah. But it's really hard right now for us to generate meaningful dialogue around those hard conversations. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of deferred maintenance around shared grief. Um, we lost a lot of people hmm. to death, COVID-related and non-COVID-related in 2020, 2021. Some of them, for some of them, there were no funerals. For some of them, there were very small funerals that some folks felt unsafe to go to. Um, And we were not able as a church to grieve with each other, to help each other through that sorrow and suffering. So there's some deferred maintenance there. Um, And then finally, last thing that I'm really thinking about, this is on my mind every day, is that we have lost basically two years of the faith formation of our youth and children. Mm. And two years does not feel all that long to me as a 52-year-old, but two years in the life of a five-year-old or a 15-year-old, that is a long damn time. And we have just, that's just, it's gone for those kids. And I am still prayerful and wondering about how we're going to, how we're going to reconvene those kids. You know, right now they're not not even vaccinated, the little ones. So we're waiting, waiting, waiting for it to be safe. And it's just, 
that's really hard. So deferred maintenance, that's what we got. We held wow. on. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's a term I hadn't heard applied that way. I, I like that a lot. That's, um, I feel, I, I feel that, as you know, in my, in my tradition, right? They say, well, that'll preach right there. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, cause I do, I feel that, I feel that in a lot of areas. I, um, you know, I, I have a, we, uh, both my spouse and I, you know, stopped going to church. Uh, I don't know. Was it? it was even before the pandemic. This was, I think, sure. uh, early summer of 2019. Um, mm -hmm. we were just like, all right, we're done. And a lot of it was just, <laughs> it was the deferred maintenance, but it was also the, the, the lack of, of learning and compassion that I, that I felt that we felt, uh, from the leadership team to really engage in what racial equity looks like. How do we engage mm. with this theologically? Mm. How do we look at this thing? Um, you know, they were glad that they had gotten the stained glass windows of the church into a black mm -hmm. Jesus. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. That, that's nice. Yeah. But how are we? And, you know, we're here in Chicago and stuff like this church was once upon a time smack dab in the center of the hood. Right. You know, like Karini yeah. Green was there. I mean, the whole nine. Now it's not. Yeah. We have multimillion dollar condos and this is in a mm -hmm. very affluent neighborhood. So it's kind of like everything has gone up around mm -hmm. it. So I'm like, we need mm -hmm. to have that conversation. Like, what are, what are we doing here? The homeless population is is decreased. They're getting relocated. They're not they're not part of this 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 environment anymore, right? Um, mm -hmm. So all those things I felt like got deferred to the point of irreplaceability, right? Like I feel like things are just broke. How? And I, I and again, I'm I'm just saying these things. I, I'm not. This is, you know this show ain't no trick questions. This is just real conversation. So. Right. I, do you engage some of those things or folks have been like, you know what, I'm done, I'm out. Or you talked about, you know, trying to engage millennials, like how my, the first question that popped in my mind was like, how are you doing that? Especially with the, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, like what are they, what do they want to call them? Gen Z's and whatnot. I would probably consider my daughter in that group. She was born in 2006. Um, and you know, it's grown up on media and it's just the age of information. Right. And so, it's like it, there isn't there. You don't, they don't get they don't take well to soft answers. So how do you right stay engaged in that? That's a big, ambiguous type <laughs> question statement. So I can clarify. Yeah, that's a big question. I mean, keep in mind for me, like those millennials that I started seeking ten years ago for this church plant. They are adults now. They have families, and uh, not all of them have a mortgage. Actually, they're mostly still renting, and you know the economy is not the same for them as it was for me coming up or, or right. definitely not for my parents. Right. So that that's, uh, it's partly why our church rents a barn instead of building a building, because we're not going to take on debt as a church when the members of our church have not taken on debt for their own permanent structure to live in. That's, um, I, I, I feel like that's still more the exception than the rule in our church. I mean, I guess, Daniel, the truth is like Galileo church is the, is the last stop for people before they just exit church life. I mean, we, we really are in some sense because of the, the nature of our emphasis on spiritual refugees. We're the church that we say, look, come, come here. If you hate church or you think the church hates you, which is a, true in a lot of cases, mm -hmm. um, think the church hates you, come, come try here um, and help us shape this into a place that you love and that loves you. Like, how are we going to, it's sort of DIY. How are we going to do this together? And how are we going to be different now that you're here? Um, so it's, it's a lot of things. It's a, 
it's a whole bunch of transparency. It's a whole bunch of power sharing. It's a whole bunch of processing conversations that let everybody who comes in the church believe for real what we say, which is that you are a grown ass adult imbued with the spirit <laughs> of the living Christ. Each of yeah. you are, right? Yeah. Each of you is. So in that sense, we're going to do this together. And I'm not going to condescend to this church to say what it ought to be or what they ought to do, but rather try again and again and again um, through preaching, but preaching in more than just words, right? Preaching in the doing of the gospel to make this such beautiful, beautiful good news that you just want more of it. So you come back. So we're just going to keep doing that and, and keep doing that. And if it's beautiful, if it's compelling, uh, people will want it to be uh, not just not just part of their life, not just an add-on, but they'll want it to be definitional for who they are. Uh, that means that not everybody sticks at Galileo Church. Some people come and they go like, no, nah, this is not just going to church. This is something more than that. And I, I didn't really sign up for that. So, yeah. yeah. That's no, okay. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I no, absolutely. I get that. That's 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 deep. I mean, I think I tell a lot of folks, you know, I, you know, I've spent so much time, you know, just looking at and studying, right, like you know, different church trends and you know, you know, spiritual ones, you know, mainly within Christianity. But, um, it, you know, and I say, like, man, there there seems to be something shifting uh within right the way we understand church and the way we understand a community now i'm not gonna lie yes we left the church but you know both my spouse and i talked a lot about you know missing that sense of community now we don't want to go back to something dysfunctional we don't want to go back to something where we walk away and we're always frustrated but what does that community look like i mean i and i don't know i'll be honest i don't have the answer to that i don't have the answer to um, what community looks like? I want to outside of this. I do believe that there's something about that. Um, yeah. I, what, in that, I can I can only imagine because you know it's like, hey, I've I've had I've held the title title as pastor and like the messiness of that. Like, what are yeah. some of the things that y- y'all hold as non negotiables? Like, no, no, no. We're we're doing this. Like, I don't care how many yeah. people. Or if or our folks are gonna leave, they're gonna just gonna leave. That's fine. This right. is non-negotiable. This is in, and then stuff that's just kind of like, well, all right, let's talk about that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, I think that's incredibly important for every every faith community in this age to do. My denomination has a thing about saying that all are welcome. A lot of liberal Protestants say that all are welcome. All are welcome at the table. All means all. All are welcome. But I don't think that's actually. Uh, workable in this Mm. age. I think that um, nobody wants to be part of the all. We are all quite, quite different. And we are all working all the time on identity formation in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, And so Galileo Church has chosen, I mean, of course, all are welcome in principle, but we've chosen to say specifically, just so you know, this is what you're getting into if you come alongside us. And so on the very front page of our website, for example, we list our five missional priorities. And we say these five missional priorities almost every Sunday night as the opening part of our worship. We say, welcome to Galileo Church. We're so glad you're here. At Galileo Church, we seek and shelter spiritual refugees. And these are the things God has called us to do. We do justice for LGBTQ people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental illness and mental health and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news 
with the world God still loves. And those five missional priorities then become kind of governing principles for what we say yes to and what we say no to. Because we got to be able to say both, right? Um, If we imagine somehow that the whole of the gospel is our job, then that's too much and we'll just end up not doing anything very effectively. But if we trust that the greater body of Christ is working on a whole bunch of other really amazing things all over the Metroplex, all over Texas, all over the world, um, then we can just narrow down and focus on these five things and say, yes, a hearty, hearty yes to things that fall within those five missional priorities. And it directs our job descriptions for our pastoral staff, directs our lay leaders as they're making decisions about where to go next, what to do. Um, It informs our budgeting process as we try to figure out how to spend our money, our calendaring, like what kind of stuff are we putting on the church calendar, not just trying to make people busier, but actually doing things that support those missional priorities. That's sort of what gives us direction. And so people know what they're getting into. So if they come around and they say, well, I, I enjoy three of these, but that one that thing about gay people, for example, I'm just not quite on board with that. We're like, you know what? You're probably going to be happier somewhere else because we're not really having the conversation anymore about whether (laughs) our church can be church without queer people in it. We're not doing that. We're saying a church without queer people in it is no church at all. We say that that's a hard line, right? So you could come here as long as you're willing to explore that uh, in your own being, but we're actually also not really welcoming a conversation about whether that's true. I'll have it with you personally as a pastor theologian, but we're not really inviting the conversation about LGBTQ identity and whether it's true that queer people are held in the heart of God into our larger church life. I love that. I love that for a lot of different reasons. Uh, One, personally, I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like there are a lot of things that get brought up. Like I used to go on campus tours where I'm at, I, you know, I teach at a private Christian university and, uh, in all honesty, I'm trying to make my way out of private Christian <laughs> education. Um, and, but one of the questions that I would get all the time, the students would be like, oh, the potential students would be like, yeah, whatever. But you know, like parents would be like, well, why do y'all have a queers allies group here? This is, how is that Christian? And I was just like, man, I'm not even going to answer that 2002 mm-hmm. question anymore. No. I'm not going to have, it's like when somebody asks, can women serve as leaderships? Like, how do you address that? I'm like, I'm not. I don't address that. I don't address that. Right. Exactly. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, you know, and that, that, these were the, these were the two prominent questions that people would, well, parents, I would say, the students would always roll their eyes and kind of sigh and be like, oh gosh. Um, you know, in regards to that. So there was that, that in and of itself was an interesting just dynamic between the child mm-hmm. uh, and these parents who were like concerned that their child is being led down the, the path of, of, of unrighteousness and unholiness. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. There's just certain things. I mean, it's the old James Baldwin quote that says, you know, we can agree to disagree. Right. But if it's like your disagreeance is, you know, in my right existence to live my, right. my, my right to just be, then, you know, there really isn't a conversation about that there it really is. No, there's a, really not, you know, no, and, I, no. and I feel like so much, right. Has gotten oh, but now you're hard headed. Oh, you're just a liberal or you don't want to, you know, listen to, you know, to reason. And, uh, there's an interesting documentary out there. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, it's called no safe spaces. Uh, Dennis Mm -hmm. Prager puts it out. Um, and Adam Carolla is in it. It's funny. And I show it to my class. I mean, I'm a communication scholar. So, I mean, I, I, I have to show stuff like this. Um, you know, it, it basically asserts the thesis that, 
you know, and you can find it for free, by the way, on, on YouTube. Um, but it, it basically asserts the thesis that liberals are corrupting the First and Second Amendment and that they are not allowing free thought to exist and that, you know, people are too easily offended and they're all up in their feelings and we're not moving forward as a society, which is a very interesting thing because I can give you a list of colleagues who have been turned away from private Christian universities because of their stance on these things, mm -hmm. right, that we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, that's deep. Mm -hmm. That's deep. Um, I like that. I like that. Y'all should y'all should <laughs> open up a, a, a campus north here in, in, in Chicago. <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> there are some great churches in Chicago doing amazing things along these same lines, I'll just say. <laughs> there are. There are. No, I, I'll give you yeah. that. I'll give you that. There are. There are. <laughs> Um, so let me ask you something a little bit different. How do y'all deal with, cause I know you've, you've probably read up on this and, and engaged in some of this. How do y'all deal with leadership in the church that's reflective of the community and the place that y'all are in? Um, yeah. Are you asking about like pastoral staff, the people we pay or about lay leadership or both? I think both. I mean, I think both. I mean, obviously sure. um, the folks that get paid and this is, you know, their livelihood and whatnot, but also the folks that, you know, get put into leadership. Like how do y'all sure, sure. deal with the, what is the politically correct term? DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so far it doesn't come up all that much because our community is such a jumble of uh, queer people all over the rainbow around sexual orientation and gender identity and uh, cis, het, allies, uh, friends, etc., and people whose identity is still in formation and changing even while they're at our church. Uh, and so we just keep looking for the gifts of the Holy Spirit in persons and inviting them to do in an official capacity, usually what we find them doing already just because that is who they are. So that we're not really looking to fill slots on leadership so much as we're looking to for the church to sort of give its, uh, I don't know, support to and assent to what folks in our church are just already doing. So we have two lay leadership teams. One of them is the missional logistics team. They tend to those missional priorities and take care of the nuts and bolts of that kind of stuff. They say yes and they say no. And, and work on that all the time and actually do work on logistics, like make stuff happen. And then there's the spiritual care team. Those folks, as you might imagine, are more of the, you know, a kind of caregiving um, disposition. And I would say those are gifts of the spirit. And where we see those coming out, people start planning and doing stuff uh, because we let everybody plan and do stuff. Then eventually, if they're really good at it, they might end up on that MLT. And if people are already showing compassion and kindness and proactive ways, um, then it won't be long before they're on the SDT. So, and that just sort of works out. So people are, I don't know, queer or not, quirky or not, and, and they sort of end up in the places they're supposed to be. In terms of pastoral staff, that feels more weighty to me because I think where we put our money um, is a testament to what we actually believe uh, about where God is at work in the lives of people and what kinds of people God calls into service. And so we have a pastoral staff of four, confessionally, I'm the only one that's part-time. Uh, and we have been working over the last several years to make sure that our part-time employees are um, 
employed fairly. <laughs> so that's been, that's a, a matter of justice that we've been working on internally to make sure that we're taking care of people who work for us part time because we know that they have to work other places too to like make their whole rent. So we want to be careful that we're not building our church structure on the backs of people that we keep impoverished by our bad practices. Churches do this all the time. Oh, it's yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's pathetic. It's pathetic. But anyway, um, I am a cis straight person. And all the rest of my pastoral staff is variously queer. And that has just happened because those are the people God has sent to us that are amazingly gifted. They are the most gifted people for the jobs they do. I just, there's, there's no way anyone could argue that someone else would be more, it would be better suited for the work that those folks are doing. They're amazing. And so we just keep, that just keeps working. Um, I'm the founder of the church. And I imagine that someday when the founder moves on out of the, of the lead position, I'm really hopeful that somebody on that LGBTQ, et cetera, rainbow will come into that ministry position. Cause I am aware right now that I'm taking up a slot that a queer ordained clergy person could have. And that, that weighs on me. I think about it and pray about it a lot. And, and when it, when the time seems right, when it seems right to the Holy spirit and to us, as Acts says, uh, I, I guess we'll know. <laughs> we'll I hear know. that. Yeah. No, that's real. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I like that. Well, let me ask you this then, just again, theologically, however yeah. you want to look at it. How would you then define that term, right? Diversity and inclusion. I mean, we're mm-hmm. one of the things that gets brought up at our school. And one of the reasons why we voted yeah. no confidence uh, in our mm-hmm. president Um uh, is is in regards to that very thing, right? It's mm-hmm. um, obviously this is this isn't you for us. It's a senior leadership team that is all white, um, mm-hmm. a board of trustees that is predominantly white, and they have one Asian uh, on yeah. there who is ethnically right Asian, but presents as white, right, and presents sure. as yeah. in, in that. So how do you navigate even well? I mean, yeah, how do you nuance? You know, that, those some of those things theologically, um, you know, the Bible, as as you know, can be used to justify so many things. Um, how have y'all landed on that theologically? Does that make sense? On, on diversity, inclusion, it, the issue of race? It, it does. Uh, it does make sense. And I have to say, in all honesty, uh, this is one of the big questions of life in the 21st century that keeps me up at night. It really does, because... I think the church um, is polarized and fragmented in so many ways. And I'm talking about the church in North America, because that's one I know, um, in so many ways, including racially. And, um, you know, for a while in my naivete and, and chosen ignorance, I thought that the idea was we just kept saying everybody's welcome and kept the doors wide open that people would make their way in if they wanted to. I did not yet understand the whiteness of my surroundings. I didn't, I didn't yet really have language for that. Um, and so gaining that, especially around race, um, I am just, I am just kind of stuck as to what exactly that's supposed to look like in the life of my church. We've talked about it again and again. You know, a few years ago when the Obergefell decision came down from the Supreme Court and marriage equality was granted to LGBTQ people, I naively thought, I'm so embarrassed to tell you all this. Um, oh, come on I with naively it. thought <laughs> <laughs> that, that um, prejudice and bigotry and, you know, policy 
um, around LGBTQ exclusion, I just thought that would fall. I thought it would fall like dominoes after the marriage equality decision. I did not understand how the conserving element of our country and our churches were going to dig in their heels on this stuff and keep Mm. on bullying, just bullying and bullying and bullying queer people, including queer children in my state right now. It's, It's just shameful. But I proposed at that time that maybe we should broaden our first missional priorities so that we'd be working on racial injustice, um, white supremacy, white privilege, and that we we would do that. And so we sort of got into a program of, of thinking about intersectionality, about what it means to be queer and white. Like how do you, how, how in this economy, in this culture, in this church, in this location, how do you sort of how do you know where you are on the levels of privilege mountain? If you carry whiteness everywhere you go, but you're also gay or you're also trans, mm-hmm. like how do, what's the math that we're doing there? I just got to say that is a, it's a gigantic and complicated question that I don't think we're going to settle in my lifetime, but we are just going to keep chipping away at it um, again and again by listening to voices that are not part of our normal daily conversation by being as humble as we can, by being learners rather than teachers, you know, listeners rather than tellers, um, and just continuing to put our actions and our money where our mouth is. If we say what we want is diversity and equity and inclusion, we got we to gotta divert resources, actual resources on the ground. I, I don't have any patience for conversations around this stuff that are just about attitudinal shifts because it doesn't matter. And I'm sorry, real, ultimately it doesn't really matter. You know, it's like in that um, the Dyson book, uh, Tears We Cannot oh, yeah. Stop, uh-huh. A Sermon in White America. I read that whole book and I got to the end to that epilogue where he says, "What I, if you're white, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have an IRA, an individual reparations account. And I want you to put money away that you actually use. You actually use this money as a kind of personal reparation so that you are... Um, supporting black business and black uh, business owners and black professionals and et cetera, et cetera. And you do this with this money um, because money is finally going to be part of what matters here. I'm not really asking you to change your heart. I'm asking you to change your economic practices. And I just went, Oh snap. Like, like, Oh, there's some, I, Oh, I see, I see, I see. This finally is very, very material. Mm -hmm. Like, like this is very material. And until I have some materiality in this game, I'm not even really playing it. So I just think questions like that have just got to keep coming back around. I want any more book groups and any more white churches where we read more books by black people telling us how to get our heart right. I just want we. It's there's some there's some materiality that's got to shift. I'm with that. I'm with that. That was that, that was actually one of the straws that broke the camel's back for me at, at our old church. It was like we did this whole series on race and equality. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm in an interethnic relationship with my partner. So they had us speaking and, um, you know, spent like 12, 14 weeks, right, doing all this thing. And then the very next week, we're starting a new Bible series on, on something. I don't know, something in Ephesians, something that Paul wrote, right? Mm-hmm. And then the author that we're reading is... You guessed it, a white, cis, you know, hetero male. And mm. not only that, he's from a very conservative background. Um, you know, he's, you know, and an advocate, you know, for Trump and everything. And I was like, wait a minute. What? How in the hell what? did we just go through all these weeks? And the very next thing that we turn around, uh, we do 
and that was it. That was just like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. And wow. the pastors there didn't even want to hear like, I mean, have y'all read any other authors? Like, I mean, and again, I was just done with, like you said, trying to have these book groups and all this stuff. When in essence, you know, I got my child here and you're wanting her to read this book too. I'm like, nah, 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 nah. So I'm good. No. So, oh Lord. Yeah, that was, that yeah. was it. That was it. Um, yeah. Well, let me get into this this book because this book is uh, you are an accomplished author. I got to read some of these other ones. You were spiritual refuge, refugees story mm-hmm. to help you believe in church uh, and the co-author of Family of Origin, Family of Choices, Stories of Queer Christians. I'm definitely going to have to read that one. Um, mm-hmm. What is what was the genesis for this book? What was like? Okay, I need to, I need to put this out in the world. Yeah, for God gets everything God wants. This last one. Um, there are a lot of evangelicals out there writing amazing stuff about the deconstruction of fundangelical faith and what it feels like and what it looks like and all the stuff you let go of and honestly the stuff you lose when that that early faith that you were you sort of inherited from your family of origin when that starts to crumble around you. There's lots and lots of books to help you through that, and I've been appreciative of all those authors. I'm so glad for them. What I found at Galileo Church is that we could not survive very long on a steady diet of what we don't believe anymore. Like we were all well-versed in what we don't believe anymore, but it was much harder for us to say all together as a church, but, and here's what we, and here is what we say about God. Mm. You know, Rob Bell has that book, what we talk about when we talk about God. Yeah. Like I, that's a great title. I love that title. And I would steal it if I could, like, like we got to be able to say, like we make the syllable God with our mouth. Right. But that's a container for some theology. Like, what do we say about this God when we say it? Because sometimes I'm talking about God with um, someone else who calls himself Christian. And I realized pretty soon in the conversation, like we don't even mean the same thing by that word. Like we, (laughs) we are not talking about the same God here, yeah. same thing. Yeah. So, so this book is um, my best effort to put down in a couple hundred pages. Like, okay, here is what we're saying. Here in the positive is what we're saying, and it it's hopefully it's a coherent argument from start to finish. Um, it's not all of what we say at Galileo Church, but this is what we say a lot enough that we actually um, abbreviate God gets everything God wants G G E G W. Like that's like, it's we. I can write it real short, just five letters. And a lot of people in my church will know what I'm talking about. Cause we talk about that all the time. I love that. I love that. And I always love asking about the genesis of books because as an author myself, there's always a, you know, some kind of inspiration and, and guidance, uh, uh, for this. Um, well, before I even get, get even dive into even deeper dive, like what what was your what was your writing style like? What was it? What what? How did you go about putting this together? Like you're a writer at night, you know? Did your editor work well <laughs> with you? Did you change a chapter at a time? I'm I'm just curious because at the same time we have a lot of authors uh, that listen to this and first time authors or mm-hmm. folks that are wanting to publish that um, mm-hmm. are always like, what's your style? Like what do you do? So I have to ask that cool. of authors as well. Cool. I'm just terrible at it. Do not, do not do like me. <laughs> I'm terrible at it. I hate it. It turns out uh, that writing brings out a couple things that I didn't necessarily know about myself. Okay. I am not just a chronic extrovert, but a pathological extrovert. So sending me home on a writing leave to sit in front of a blank screen all by myself is terrifying. I don't enjoy it. 
And uh, I maybe, I don't know if I'm a little ADD or what, but like having a deadline, like a Sunday deadline works really well for me. I write thousands of words, right? Because I'm a preacher and I pray, I, I write just so much every single week, but it's always on a deadline. And just having a few months, weeks or months to sit and write on a book that has no deadline and sort of nobody really cares, like there's no consequence if I don't put it out in the world, that's really hard. I ended up, honestly, uh, for my first book, I, I sort of altered a system that, I think it's called the Pomodoro method. Is that the word for tomato in oh. Spanish or Italian or something? You know the one uh. with the tomato timer? Oh, yeah, you, yeah, you time, yeah. Yeah, you turn it, 25 minutes you write, and then five minutes you get up and walk around the house or something, go to the bathroom, get a new Diet Coke or something. Twenty, Then you sit down again, 25 minutes you write, and you keep doing that in cycles all day. Mine worked best with a iPhone timer and poker chips. And I got poker chips for every half hour that I kept my butt in the chair and did not click over to Facebook. Like, I, you know, like <laughs> if I could just stay on task for right. half an hour at a time. And so um, at least that first book was written just one gritted teeth half hour at a time. Uh, it got a little easier and a little better um, just from practice, but mercy, it's hard. And it's terrifying because you put something on the page. It's not like a sermon, which is kind of ephemeral, right? It's going to, you're going to speak it and it sort of goes into the ether. But, um, but putting something on a page feels scary. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I love the opening here and you're talking about, I mean, I think part of what I am taking away from this text um, is really the therapeutic process um, of healing um, and mm, of, yeah. like you said, really finding, because I've heard that a lot from folks, ex-evangelicals or progressive, I mean, however you want to define folks who are just not looking right. at a, right, a traditional <laughs> definition of what Christianity yeah. has been, is how do we think about God in in mm -hmm. this view what's the orthodoxy mm -hmm. what's the orthopraxy so and mm -hmm. and so what are some of the things then that God wants I mean I love the chapters here God you know you said uh you know part one then only two stories okay only one the arc of the moral mm -hmm. universe what are some of the uh some of the things that God uh God wants to get and God wants to get I well the arc of the moral universe you know someone said it's long but it bends toward justice um, and I'm taking that idea that is biblical and it is prophetic and the prophets from the ancient ones, even to our contemporaries have been telling us that history is headed somewhere. It's headed toward a future of God's imagining. Um, uh, Dr. West says, you know, uh, justice is what love looks like in public. So this idea that Jesus said, all God wants is love. God wants you to love God. God wants you to love each other. And when you love in public, that's justice. That's what, that's what it looks like. That's that equity we're talking about. And that God, uh, history is headed somewhere. God is the author of that history. And it all goes somewhere someday. And I'm using the where and the time as metaphors here because God exists outside both of those. But for us, we experience it as someday. Um, and so the idea that uh, life is not, is not meaningless, that life, your life and all life has a purpose, it all goes somewhere and you can go with the flow of God's imagining, God's dreaming for you and the whole world, or you can fight always sort of against that flow of the universe that belongs to sovereign God. Um, and 
the idea that, that God has a dream, as Bishop Tutu said, uh, God has an imagining for God's future is something we get from our ancestors in the Bible and from these contemporary prophets all around us. And so it is our best life for each human being to sort of get with what God wants and then want what God wants. And, and so that, that then becomes a kind of ethical slash aesthetic um, frame for looking at our lives with God, that we're learning to, to, to love what God loves, to desire what God desires, to dream about what God dreams about. And yeah, that would be the whole human family at home with each other, at home in the heart of God, and at home with the creation as God has made it. I just think the whole that the biblical testimony is toward that all the time. And, and we should be manifesting as much of that as we can in our life together. So it looks like it looks like nobody being lonely. It looks like mm. nobody being hungry. It looks like nobody suffering from shame they can't shed. Um, it looks like health and wellness and prosperity, everyone under their own vine and their own fig tree where no one shall make them afraid. It looks like all of the all this language that the prophets have been giving us for so long. Um, and the church above all should be a place where that is coming true, where God's dream is coming true a little bit more every hour, every day that we are granted to be together. And then insofar as we can, we sort of, we sort of exercise uh, the export of that, of that reality. Insofar as it's healthy and good and beautiful for us in the church, we're exporting that outward so that our work say for, well, at Galileo, we say we do justice for LGBTQ people. That's not just in the walls of the church, but justice is a public category. So we take that out publicly and, advocate for justice for the least of these the church ought to be the loudest voice doing that i agree <laughs> i agree <laughs> i feel like i've spent the latter part of my career mm. arguing to folks who are churches that aren't doing that right it's like mm. we're sitting here saying right this is what we ought to be doing this is this notion and just like i tell folks when there's like what should be done with the time that we're in right now i'm like well a lot of smart folks have figured that out and we've had the solutions in front of us for a long time, but it's been the, 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 the stubbornness, right. To, you know, the, the stiff necked, if you will, <laughs> to use the old Testament term, right. Of people that refuse, right. To, to do those things. Um, and I, I don't necessarily know, you know, what to do with that because people are like, oh man, where do we go from here? It's in the pandemic. It's 2021. You got climate change and everything. And you know, how do we handle that? It's like, well, we know what to do. I mean, look, we stayed home for several months, and then the emissions goes down. Like just, just from staying home, right? Like, um, yeah. I like the title for the chapter. Something, something, Holy Spirit reminds me of the. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the Family Guy episode of something, something, something. Um, what was going on there? Because you have a whole section um, on, um, and this is part three. And I, I got an uncorrected proof. So again, if somebody is reading this, I don't know what page it starts on, but at least okay. on mine, it starts on page 65. Um, okay. Keys to the Kingdom, um, chapter yeah. seven, uh, something, 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 Holy Spirit, 71, and then catching on, catching up, page 82. Yeah. Yeah. What was uh, when God doesn't get everything God wants? What were what were yeah. you after in that section there? Well, I'm definitely after the truth telling that um, some people have quibbled with the title of the book. God gets everything God wants because it is not 
apparent to everyone that God is getting everything God wants right this very minute. Obviously, obviously that's the case. And so you got to, in this schema where the arc of the moral universe is long and bends toward justice, you got to, you got to account for the ways in which the universe is not yet just, like things are not actually happening according to God's plan or God's dream right now. And indeed God's dream seems to be thwarted at every turn lately. It's frustrating and it's terrifying. Um, and it's a challenge to my faith. If I'm honest, I mean, it's a challenge like that's And yeah. faith that's unchallenged is not really much faith at all. But, um, so God not getting everything God wants in the here and now in my state and in my heart, um, is to acknowledge the reality that God has been either stubbornly or naively insistent on partnership with the human family from the very beginning. God has not wanted automatons. God has not wanted robots. God has not wanted a slave class to serve God. God wants partners. God wants to be in love and to be loved. And love requires mutuality. And so God says, I have an idea. How about we etc. And people either say, that's amazing. I'm on board, God. Yes, to all that. Or people say, oh, I don't know, maybe we should do this instead. And God just keeps, 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 keeps trying. There's this persistence. So the keys to the kingdom section there is just about the breathtaking reality that Jesus, you know, having been let down by his religious kin, by his best friends, by his own family of origin, um, he he has been crucified by empire he's you know he's been all but just 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 destroyed and denigrated diminished so severely by empire he comes back from all of that and after all of that he meets up with those same loser friends and says hey how about you take the keys now and drive this thing home and it's like what why 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 is he giving it not just to peter but peter as a stand in for all of us really clumsy really stubborn really loud um, just, just bad disciples, <laughs> you know, why, why, yeah. why hand the keys to the kingdom to us? Um, but Jesus shows us the heart of God, right? And, and this is something we know about God. God is just really insistent on partnership. So God doesn't always get everything God wants because we just haven't got on board yet. So, um, the spirit of the living Christ comes among us, lives in us, works through us, works around us. And sometimes works in spite of us still like trying, trying, trying to nudge the world in the direction of God's own imagining and inspires us to do some of that lifting along with God. And insofar as we're able to sort of partner up with the Holy Spirit, go with the flow, the grain of God's good created order, um, then we are sort of in sync with it. And we, we feel ourselves sometimes at Galileo Church in that flow, in sync. And we say, I don't know, something, something, Holy Spirit. We had a question we couldn't answer, a problem we couldn't solve, a neighbor we couldn't welcome, a community we couldn't love, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, something, something, Holy Spirit, and look, and and then it's working. And so that's our pneumatology. That's, you know, just that's our, our very plain way of talking about pneumatology. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I love the quote here. This I think this is chapter 13. Uh, when you talk about the church has to do better, page 146. Mm. This is, uh, could the church be a learning lab for love? Uh, not yeah. just talking about love or wishing for more love in the world or scheduling an outpouring of love <laughs> through our rotations <laughs> in the community food pantry, exactly. But right. actually trying it out, trying to actually love each other by seeing each other and letting other people see us so clearly that we can tell when the other person, here we go, is depressed, 
or anxious or having an MS flare or flourishing in their new job. If the church could be a learning lab for love, we would build in the possibility, nay, the certainty that sometimes we're going to try something that doesn't work. I'm going to be too frank when D when uh, when what you needed in the moment was some softness, some swaddling. You're going to say yes when you really should have said no and then fret about how uh, to get out of it. We're going to cross the, the gossip line Oof. when mm -hmm. we started with such a good intention to enlist other people's sympathy for something we all care about. It's a lab. Mm -hmm. um, I love that quote. I think. Right. I mean, these 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 notions of what so much of this stuff boils down to, I think about just like what does that love what is when jesus says i command you right to love your neighbor to love the folks around you right this is like the greatest commandment like jesus is like look no 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 okay if you don't get anything you don't hear anything else i'm saying mm -hmm. love um what's that look like pra pragmatically for you in in the church how's that working out in your your corner of the world yeah i mean pragmatically in our church it means that the 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 congregational leadership me and and lay leaders um we build a kind of infrastructure as light as we can think of like a, a lattice a lattice in a garden that a, a climbing rosebush can climb if it chooses to grow the lattice is there and just sort of waiting and available and so we build the kind of programming i guess you'd call it just the lightest possible infrastructure that also is um, changeable because if we build some that doesn't work well, we tear that part down and rebuild it a different way. And what we hope will grow there is relationship. The point is the relationship, not the infrastructure it's built on, right? This is a thing where I used to get hung up in my early ministry in traditional church all the time because I'm always, I was programming, programming. I call this the the Julie McCoy model of ministry, Julie mm. McCoy from the love boat. You got to be of a certain age to get that reference. Oh yeah. Okay, but she was okay. the cruise director, the I, cruise director yeah. on the love boat with a clipboard. And her <laughs> yeah. only job was to just get more bodies into more programs. How many more things can I get you to sign up for? Because you'll be happier on the love boat. If you're busier doing the things that Julie McCoy has planned I that. and pastors get caught up in that all the time. And we think that the idea is to get butts in pews or people at the, I don't know, the ladies coffee or the men's prayer breakfast or whatever it is we're planning. We got to get more people there because that's the only way we know how to measure whether we're doing any good. And listen, the pandemic pulled all of that programming out from under us, right? All the programming was gone. And I saw colleagues panicking because if we're not doing those things, if we're not getting people, bodies into those places, then what are we doing? And I was just praying, praying, praying for Galileo Church that what would happen is the, the, the relationships that had grown on the infrastructure we had would flourish even when the infrastructure got pulled out from under us. And thanks be to God, that did happen in most cases. Yes, those relationships suffered, but they remained. And sort of watching people figure out how to be friends with each other in the absence of church programming well, that was really interesting. <laughs> it was taxing us all to know yeah. how to do that. If the church isn't scheduling your friendship time, then how do you be friends? <laughs> yeah. Then how do you be friends? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so love looks like that. It looks like um, what grows on a light infrastructure. And it looks like us trying real hard to be in relationship with each other across all kinds of difference, sometimes messing up, 
apologizing heartily, really sincerely, and then being forgiven and seeking reconciliation. And reconciled relationships are the best relationships. I love the people that have seen me make giant mistakes, public mistakes, loud mistakes, careless mistakes. And when I've come back with a hearty, heartfelt apology and said, I I really messed that up. I am so sorry. That was so wrong Mm. and so bad. And I'm going to do better next time if you give me another chance. And the reconciled relationship that can happen after that is that's the real deal now. Because now we've, we've seen each other's crap and or they've seen mine <laughs> and we can come back into it. So partly for us too, that looks like me modeling and thank goodness I make lots of mistakes so I can model lots of reconciled relationship. <laughs> I love that. I love that. This is, this is really good. I love that. I think um, this really captures, you know, the essence, right. Of what you're after here and really where, where we're at, right. in this, in this current time in, in, in space where, I feel like so much of even civility, you know, is lost and we're kind of almost shoved into these binary corners, either this or that. Um, And I like, you know, this is this is the last quote is the conclusion. I love that you have a conclusion. Again, as somebody who reads a lot, I always tell my students, hey, just have some kind of conclusion, like bring it together. Yeah, it's got to go somewhere. Yeah. I love it. Uh, 165, again, in my text that I'm looking at, um, this is on the other end of the rope. Silly goose. It's the reign of God. It's the justice, love in public. The long arc of the moral universe bends towards. It's everything God wants. It's all we want. And we want so much more of it right here, right now. We're gluttons and drunkards for the reign of God. We're sinners and tax collectors kicked out and kept out. Ready to get our hands dirty for the reign of God. We're saying yes because it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We're saying yes because God gets everything God wants, because God has gotten, is getting, will get every single thing God wants. And we just, we want that, don't you? Uh, That's a beautiful thing because you're absolutely right. I ask that question of myself a lot. Is Are we, are we mm-hmm. after, like, it's, it's so easy to lose the perspective. I'm after a rule. I'm after a program. I'm after a methodology, especially in my early years of being a minister or whatever, a pastor. It was always right. It's like, I was that Julie. I was like, all right, let me sign you up for this. Let's go to camp. Let's go get you into Bible study. Let's get you part of the Mm -hmm. choir. And you know, and it's like, it's so Mm -hmm. easy. Like, what is God going and doing? Um, that's a beautiful yeah. thing. And, I, and that is something, right, that the psalmist says, you know, Selah, you know, to think on and to ponder on. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a good reminder, in, this, in, in, in at least for me, I'll speak for myself, you know, in this time mm-hmm. that we find ourselves in, I've had to pull away a lot from social media and, you know, just even just reading news because it just seems like it's just yeah. one bad thing after another. And it's just like, right. all right, let me get outside. Right. <laughs> let me go take a right. walk. Um, let me play with my pets. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I do. And, and how disappointing, how disappointing must it be, um, to go from all that bad news in the world, to go into the church for the church only to be talking about its own survival. How are we going to make it? Are we going to survive the pandemic? Are we going to survive this next budgeting year? We don't have enough bodies in these pews. We don't have enough people to fill these committees. We don't have enough dollars in this account to keep perpetuating the way of life that we've always had. And that, that singular focus on the survival of the institution, I just, you know, and I know, and God knows 
there, there is no good news in that. There's no gospel in it. It's infused with nothing. It's just, it's mm. just nothingness. Mm. And, and churches that are not offering, not just, not just solace for the bad news of the world as it is right here, right now, not just solace, but a, a real plan of action. Like, okay. And so here is where we are positioning ourselves relative to that. And here is what the Holy Spirit of the living Christ in us is going to help us do now. So that, because we are empowered. We don't just want to feel empowered. We are empowered by that living spirit to actually make a difference in this world. If if your church is just sitting around trying to figure out how to survive, it's just not, a, it's just, there's just nothing there. It's just not enough. And no wonder the pews are emptying out. People are not really interested in our institutional maintenance anymore. Nobody's interested in that. Ooh. Ooh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It, it makes, I'll tell you, Dan, it makes us, it makes churches and all their leadership and maybe seminaries too, and maybe private Christian colleges come too. Come on, come on. It makes them turn toward what is urgent uh, at the expense of what is important. Mm-hmm. Where every agenda deals with what's urgent. How are we going to pay the next bill? How are we going to survive another year? Right? How are we going to recruit enough people, enough students, enough clients, enough whatever, enough givers to just survive another piece of this little this sort of slow moving apocalypse that we've been living now for so long. Right. But in the meantime, all that deferred maintenance, all those important hard conversations about what it means to actually become better humans. Like God means for us to be better humans. God did not, Jesus did not die so we could be better Christians. Mm. (laughs) Jesus was here and lived among us to show us how to be better humans. We're meant to be better humans and to be good for this world. God still loves. And, but we, that conversation just gets put off and put off and put off in so many institutions I've been a part of, you've been a part of, and fewer and fewer people are willing to have that conversation with us anymore. That's deep folks. The book is God gets everything God wants. Uh, by Katie Hayes. Um, it's out now, correct? It is, yeah. Yes. Um, and so I'll, as always, put these notes um, in the show notes at White Ouch Podcast. Katie, this has been a great conversation. I know our time is nigh, and, and and I feel like, you know, there's so much more to cover and to talk about that. And just, mm-hmm. I'm sure there'll be some great questions from audience members as well. But uh, where can folks find you? Where can folks say, you know, I want to send this endowment, you know, of a, a few million, <laughs> few hundred million dollars right. out there to, uh, right. to, to, to Reverend Katie? Yeah, well, don't send it to me. Send it to Galileo Church. <laughs> uh, you can find us at GalileoChurch.org. Um, and we are eminently Googleable. It's so easy to find us. We're all over Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the TikTok. We're on TikTok. The TikTok, um, yeah. Yeah, and you can find me and my writings at katiehayes.net. Okay, cool. I will put those in the show notes. Um, thank you again for coming and, and, and sharing just your thought process and your life and just really the ethos and premise of what Galileo is doing, what y'all are doing. Sounds amazing. Um, blessings to what well, y'all are doing and what and how I y'all are doing. I appreciate that. Your, your blessings are, are well received. Thank you so much. And for making time for me and, and for my church today. Thank you that. from the bottom of my heart. Amen. Yeah. Amen to that. 